I probably have only one question, but my first question would be for you. What is your, what, what brought you to conclude that maybe that you doing a pod that is really such a good idea anymore? <laughs> Uh, okay, let me define it. How many of you have heard of apologetics? Okay, some of you, maybe not. Apologetics is basically a defense of the Christian faith. Not even just Christian, other religions have their apologists too, like Muslims. It's usually an intellectual defense of the Christian faith. The majority of my adult life, I did apologetics. I, by, I guess you want to say, by God's grace, I was privileged enough to study under some of the top apologists in the world. I don't do apologetics the way I do before because at that time I was defending something called the Christian worldview, which is I'm not against defending some Christian beliefs, but that Christian worldview, I have to qualify it. I was defending the evangelical Christian worldview, which is different. Are you guys familiar with that? You know, within Christendom, folks, there's so many different types of Christians, right? You have Roman Catholics, you have Protestants, you have Eastern Orthodox. You have Calvinists, Charismatics, Presbyterians, you get what I'm saying? And so I was defending a certain type of Christianity. And I was doing all the cliches. Because I, I really respect a lot of my professors, and I still do. I'm just willing to, at this point, disagree. Because when I started to understand grace, it changed everything, man. It changed the way that I approached the Bible, the way I read the Bible. It changed my view of God. It changes the way I, I view talking to people instead of treating them like a project. You know, and with my evangelism trophy, I saved, I led two people to the Lord today, you know. Get another crown, you know. It just changed the way everything. And I remember when I was doing apologetics, I was so argumentative. I'm not saying every apologist is like that, but in, in, in my world, oh, I would love to debate. But it's so funny, my wife never sees me debate. I never debate now. Because I'm not here to argue with anybody. If you want to argue with me, like I had people on the internet challenging me, long, super long message challenging me, I didn't even respond back. Because I'm not here to always defend, 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 defend. Especially when most likely you won't believe what I'm saying because you're so focused on what you already believe. You're not even open. I do do apologetics now in the sense that I answer questions to those who are open. To those who are giving me a hard time, I'll be honest, I do throw questions at you just to mess with you a little bit, to get you thinking. But if you get heated, I step back. And my wife has, like I said, she's never seen me really debate. And she's seen people get in my face, mad, and tell me that they want to correct me. And then my wife would just see me and then, you know, and then my wife beats them up. No, I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> my wife's very protective and I love it, you know. But I, I'm just very chill. Because, you know, debates don't get anywhere, folks. Because it's not about winning the argument. It's about finally being honest with yourself. And as I was telling the sister here, many times when you hear this message of grace, it's nothing new. I'm just confirming. <clears throat> so the reason why I started to step away from the evangelical apologetics is because I don't agree with a lot of evangelical thinking anymore like I used to. So there's my shorter answer. <laughs> I should have just said that. <laughs> okay? Yeah. So I'm still, I can still identify myself as a Christian. And I'm not saying that all religions are true. So please don't get me wrong or misinterpret me because some people are saying, Josh doesn't believe in Jesus or that not, you know, every religion is the same. I'm not saying that. I don't believe in relativism. Relativism means that everything can be true. Whatever's true for you is true for you. I'm not saying that. Truth is truth. 
right? But what makes you think that you know all of the truth? Mm. What do, why would I think that I know all of the truth? Or that people that had a certain dogma for hundreds of years, what makes me think that they had all of the truth? Folks, if we only stick with tradition, there would be no such thing as a reformation. So someone at my seminary gave me a hard time because he saw me about two years ago and he heard some of my grace. He says, Joshua, you're willing to tell me? You're willing to challenge hundreds and hundreds of years of theology and, uh, and doctrine? And I said, yeah. <laughs> Why not? Because it's just as arrogant on your part if you have history on your side or the church on your side, that's just as arrogant to think that you're right just because you have a bunch of people backing you up. Because there's safety in numbers, folks. And I'm not challenging tradition for the sake of tradition. I'm challenging it because I don't believe certain tradition. Just like some of you have left certain traditions within your Roman Catholic background. You guys get what I'm saying? You're willing to let go. Then what makes you think that our evangelical point of view is it? When if you look at the Eastern Orthodox Church, they consider a lot of our evangelical teachings heresy. And they're called Christians too folks that's wild so that's one of the reasons why i speak up and i'm willing to take the hits and, I, and i'm so blessed by our, our sisters here they're going to go to the philippines and bring this message they're going to take some hits man because someone needs to say something you get what i'm saying when no one says something i'm telling you it's on so many people's minds just no one's saying anything you get what i'm saying why, if, if God is so good, why do you, or if the Bible is so amazing, then why do you have to force people to read your Bible? Why do you have to give them guilt trips? If the gospel is so good, why do you have to give people guilt trips to go do evangelism? It should just flow naturally from their heart. If the gospel is that good. Or maybe our gospel is not that good. Not, it's not good enough in the sense where we feel like it's an overflow, where we just can't help but share the good news. I'm telling you that when you have this overflow of the good news, it's, it's hard to contain. Amen. You just be like, dude, God's good. Man. Gosh, let me tell you about God. Or you were first. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. and then I'll get to you. Yeah, you first. Okay. Um, things like the flood. Um, yeah. As loving as he is, the flood. <laughs> What's not loving about wiping out all of humanity? <laughs> okay. You guys are open, right? And I'm not afraid to put, say this now because I just put a video recently, so I got in trouble for that too. <laughs> I encourage you to watch one of my latest videos. I posted it up last week. Is God a moral monster? Okay. Did you watch that? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's why you're asking. You're trying to bring it out, okay? This is for the other people to hear. Did God send the flood? What have we been taught? Yes. Now, when I was in New York, I saw a children's book where they kind of take Old Testament stories, you know, to make them look cute. Like, so there's a picture of Noah and his family, and then God sends the flood, and yay, God saved this wonderful family, right? So that looks good in a children's book. But I want you guys to step out of that Christian perspective and just read it as a non-Christian or a skeptic. What's the other perspective? He killed the rest of humanity. He wiped out all of humanity, folks. Do you see that? So we like focusing on that positive. Or we could, we could even focus on, oh, look at those crazy stories in the Old Testament where God gives people victory in a battle. Now, I want you to imagine this. 
I want you to imagine you're eating with, uh, dinner with your family, you, you, the ones that you just you really love them. Now all of a sudden, while you're eating, a group of people come in and they, they invade your home. They pillage your town, your village, right? They pillage your village. Ooh, that yeah, right. Okay, they pillage your village, right? Then they take your daughters as sex slaves. Or they could be your sisters, right? They take your daughters as sex slaves, concubines. They get your sons. They cut their heads off. And they say, we're doing this in the name of God. God has given us victory. How would that make you feel? Now that you're on the other side. Folks, that's in your Bible. That's in your Bible, right? And if we are under grace, and I've heard grace people even say this too. When the tsunami hit Japan, or in other places in Asia, right? They're very upset. That's not God. That's not God. God won't do that. God won't do that. Why not? Noah. Noah's flood. Noah's ark. He sent the flood in the Old Testament. Oh, but that's Old Covenant. Oh, so I guess God's nicer now. That the cross changed God's mind all of a sudden. Because of a new covenant, now God's nice. And he wouldn't do that ever again. You see how some people, even within the grace stream, they think that the cross cross change God's mind where God is angry towards you so he sends all this violence and anger but at the cross no more grace you see the nice side of Jesus I'm telling you from the very beginning God was always for you always from the very beginning that cross did not change God's mind it changes ours I'm telling you when you read your Bible we have we're, we're reading it with a particular lens we all approach it in a certain way is this Bible 100% inerrant, God's Word, infallible? You guys familiar with that terminology? If not, I'll explain. Infallible, inerrant means, or actually inerrancy, inerrancy means it's 100% true without error. So you guys have heard at least people use that kind of language. This is God's Word, all of it's true. If God said it, I believe it, that settles it. You guys familiar with that? Well, let me put it this way, just to make it easy. Do you guys believe, you don't have to nod your heads, just say it in your mind. Do you believe that all of this book, everything contained in this book is true? This is God's authoritative word. Now, let me just throw some questions at you. How many of you, without raising your hands, have read the entire Bible from cover to cover? I can guarantee you that a lot of us, especially in many gatherings I had, they've never read it. But yet, you assume it's 100% true, and 100% without error, right? That's an assumption. Now, for those of you who have read it from cover to cover, can you tell me that you've done an in-depth study where you've dissected every single verse in the original language, looked up the historical background, everything, and made sure that every single thing in this book is 100% true? No. No one has done that but yet you would still assume that this is God's inerrant, infallible, 100% true word. Why do you do that? I'm trying to give you some perspective on this. If you believe that this is 100% true, and you believe in the grace message, you cannot reconcile the two, in my opinion. I guarantee that. Read the Old Testament again, and you tell me how that God is a God of love and grace. 
in some parts. I'm not saying all of it. I'm not throwing it all out. Explain to me, folks, Deuteronomy 20 and 21. They tell people, I want you to go to a town and I want you to declare peace to them. But if they don't accept your peace offering, I want you to kill everybody, even the children, and show no mercy. You could even take the women. And then once you take the women, right, which might be your guys' sisters, right, if this was today, happening today, you could take them as your, it's basically sex slaves. And then when you don't want them anymore, you can let them go. Cut off their nails, shave their head. Folks, are you willing to tell me that that was really God? And this is a sad part where Christians were not able to learn to think for themselves or to read the Bible on their own. Read it again. And guess who commands those evil things? God. But I'm telling you, the Christian apologists will say, no, 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 no. It's just recording man's mistakes. It's recording man's evil, but God's not the one that does it. Read it again. Don't listen to that Christian apologist. You don't even have to listen to me. Read the Bible again. And you tell me who says to do those horrible things. It's God, folks. Did you know that even in the Bible, God even, he doesn't just command genocide, killing a bunch of people, right? Infanticide, killing babies. How do you explain that, folks? Even if it's under the old covenant. I've had grace people, when I started getting this view, I was challenging it. The grace people were like, well, Josh, that's under the old covenant. That's under the law. Here's my response. So what? If that's your argument, that's still your disgusting God having to follow this law and command those evil things as if there's this law that's above God. Are you following me, folks? Why not go to San Francisco right now and pray for God to send down fire on the gay people? Why not? Why not? Fire and brimstone. Why not? We have biblical justification for it. Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh, wait, but the cross changed God's mind. <laughs> That's what people will say. Really? Are those stories that we read of the, 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 the heinous things, the horrendous things, the evils that we see, we have to question whether or not that was really God. Or was it man's perception of God? Now, for those of us who are growing up in this charismatic stream, haven't you met people say, God told me to marry you? God said, God said, God said, I have a prophetic word. You're going to be a pastor one day. Haven't you had people get a prophetic word and they were off? It's not like all these guys got together in a room and said, hey guys, let's all agree with each other. Let's all make sure we don't make mistakes. It's written from different continents, from a bunch of different authors with different perspectives. How can we assume that they're all saying the same thing when they will contradict each other? The Bible says in the Old Testament, in the book of Ecclesiastes, there's no afterlife. Yet in the New Testament, we believe in the afterlife. You guys know that, right? The book of Ecclesiastes. And I've heard weird arguments from Christian apologists where you guys know the story of the Amalekites and the Canaanites where God's people killed their children. They murdered, they killed the other people's children. So the Christian apologists will say, Oh, well, you know, it was actually an act of mercy. That's in your apologetic books. And here's the reasoning why. Because they, they, God allowed them to kill those babies to spare them from growing up in a corrupt culture. Could you at least see their reasoning? Because he doesn't want you to get corrupted. 
right? But wouldn't a better reason, instead of killing those babies from the other, you know, community groups, wouldn't it be better not to kill the children and just adopt them? And they won't get corrupted by us. <laughs> but why do you have to kill the babies? Now, isn't it interesting that even in the Bible, God even commanded or told people to even eat their own children? What? It's in the Bible? Yes. But no one talks about it on the pulpit, folks. It's there. Well, Josh, the Bible says that all Scripture is God-breathed. What if he's lying? What if God's lying? What do I mean? In the Old Testament, God sends a lying prophets because he was determined to kill Ahab. So he, was, he, uh, he sent lying spirits. So he sent lying spirits to deceive Ahab so he could go into battle, and eventually he's actually going to lose the battle, but God actually tricked him. Folks, if God is able to give you bad commands and to deceive you, what makes you think he won't deceive you here? Or unless these interpretations and writings that we have were man's skewed perception of God, where sometimes they got it right, like us, and sometimes they got it wrong. Explain to me Psalms where it says, blessed are those who grab his baby's head and you dash him upon a rock. How do you explain that? Please, please, just start being honest when we read our Bible and not be brainwashed. I'm telling you, if you are going to be a consistent Bible guy that believes everything in the Word, you should be a very violent person. <laughs> you want to copy their example. You guys get what I'm saying, folks? This is wild, man. But we're, we, we choose not to see it because it doesn't fit our paradigm. So when you look at the Bible, instead of looking at it, I like what Brian McLaren says, instead of looking at it like a constitution, a constitution like it's a bunch of laws, and Christians treat the Bible like a constitution. You go on Facebook, you, you see like 100 comments, it's a debate. They're just bickering and arguing. Well, this verse says, this verse says, this verse says, this verse says. So they're treating it like a constitution. But instead of treating it like a constitution, as Brian McLaren says, try not reading it like that, but try looking at the Bible as a library. Of, it's a collection of stories of people who have genuinely experienced God where sometimes they got it right and sometimes they got it wrong. And it would violate the scriptures because even Jesus violated the scriptures. You've heard it said, you've heard it said, you've heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You've heard it said, but I tell you, I tell you, I tell you. Looks like Jesus is reinterpreting stuff. You could even look at the passages in the New Testament of Paul. He takes violent passages, he quotes it in the New Testament, and he removes the violent part. You know what we do in Bible school? We would say Baal, Baal, Paul is bad at hermeneutics. Because look, he's misinterpreting a passage, he's taking it out of context. No, Paul literally took passages that had to do with violence, he put it in the New Testament, but he removed, he removed the violent part, as if he's reinterpreting it. You know why? Because Paul, as a Pharisee of the Pharisees, as a legalist, before he converted, so to speak, he read the scriptures through violence. And now he's reinterpreting the scriptures because he saw what that can do, folks. Do you see that? Why not get pissed off when someone kills your family in the name of God? Why not? Why not? Who cares about 9-11 when, when they did it in the name of God? It was in the name of God. When we have the same stories of our people, so to speak, 
doing the same thing. And we call it a good thing because God was protecting His people. Folks, we have to keep in mind, it was a pagan culture. The ancient Near Eastern worldview is that they believe that if they sacrifice their children to God, they literally, sacrifice, they literally, folks, sacrifice their children to God in order to have victory in a battle. That's why they would fight in a battle. This victory is ours, says the Lord. But we automatically assume this is inerrant, it's God's word, so it must be true. Is this making sense? This might be offending some of you, and I don't mean to. It's, it's, it's allowing us to approach the scriptures in a healthy and an objective way where people have made these weird logical leaps. Josh, well, if you're questioning this, you can't trust anything in the Bible. Hello, have you ever read a book where you liked a lot of it, but you didn't like one chapter? Just because one part's wrong, I'm not saying everything's wrong. Folks, why, why do we not have slavery anymore when the Bible doesn't abolish slavery? You know in the Bible you could actually endorse slavery and encourage it? Slaves obey your masters. The reason why we don't have slavery anymore is because people carried out the heart of God. That they're not living by the law, they're living by the Spirit. There's something called this redemptive hermeneutic. We're, we're eventually being liberated more and more into truth where we realize that slavery is not a good idea, even though the Bible, there's slavery there. Obey your masters. Folks, it was a patriarchal culture as well. If you like Joyce Meyer, she shouldn't be preaching because according to the Bible, she's a woman and she, she should not be up there preaching because a woman should be silent and she should not have authority or teach another man if you want to be consistent with your Bible. And here's the interesting part, because people who are inerrantists, they want to believe in the reliability that's all 100% true. They'll say, well, Josh, that's a cultural thing, because during that time, the women in that church, they were causing a ruckus. So they have this very interesting imagination, these commentators, <laughs> trying to make up a scenario of why women had to be quiet. But you know what the author of 1 Timothy says? It's not a cultural thing. The reason why women should be quiet and not have authority over a man is because Adam was created first, and Eve was deceived by the, by the serpent first. In other words, it's an order, not by, it's an argument, not by culture, but the author is arguing by the order of creation and that women, in a sense, are easily deceived more than men. But do you want to believe that, women? But it's in our book. But what we can do is that we can take the good things that Paul and the other writers are saying and we can carry this message and see it. Because folks, even just a couple months ago, I was speaking up in, in California. This guy told me that he went to this church and they, they wouldn't even let a black kid into the church. So we've even progressed when it comes to racism. <laughs> Back in the day, they wouldn't have women preachers. You know that. You know that. You know, they even have a hard time with me with the way that I dress. I just got a, a comment recently, last week. Someone saw me sitting down. I was wearing a black jacket. They said, dress up, stand up, and respect the pulpit. But there was no pulpit. <laughs> there was a chair. <laughs> so uh, I'm excused. You know, I, I, there's no pulpit. There's a chair. <laughs> but there's very, it's, it's this very archaic, old school. Folks, Brian McLaren gave a good example. Imagine you're in a time machine. You go, let's just make it up, 2030. 
that we're in a, on a talk show in 2030 and we're being interviewed by a bunch of Christians and a bunch of people into spirituality. So let's just say that I'm there and we're all there and they look at you and say, hey, hey bro, I heard in 2013 you guys are all for war. You guys are so violent. That's crazy. I heard that gays back in 2013, gays don't go to heaven. I can't believe you guys believe that stuff because we don't believe that anymore. But hasn't our culture changed just 10 years ago? The liberation that we've experienced? And can't we believe that over 5 or 10 years, our view of God will change even more? And our children, I hope so, that my child will not have to have that legalistic mindset that I had growing up that lived in so much fear. Folks, I remember what I, will, I took a nap during the day. And you know, when you take naps during the day, it feels weird when you wake up, like you don't know what time it is. So I took a nap, and I woke up, and I'm a little kid, and I woke up and no one was home. You know what I thought? I thought I was left behind. <laughs> and I was crying. Did that happen to you? <laughs> I was crying because I, I was fed that garbage, folks. Imagine a child having all this fear. My whole family was gone in the house. That's what fear, that, that's what religion can do. Folks, I don't have to point people to a Bible or to a church. or to, I, I point them to God. And I'll let the Holy Spirit work on them because the Holy Spirit's not weak. He's close. He's speaking to you all the time. Just because someone's prophetic, it doesn't mean Holy Spirit's speaking to them. More. It's just they're becoming more sensitive, more aware. It's making sense. Okay, so I'm not throwing out the Bible. I have to clarify because some people, there's a guy in church history, a very respected guy named Marcion. He actually threw away the Old Testament because it wasn't consistent with the life of Jesus Christ in the New Testament, which I, I understand. But for me, I'm even willing to keep the Old Testament and say, you know what? We can learn from their mistakes. But this is how we see them. Because folks, it, it's so weird. It, I'm telling you, the, the church is so full of cliches. The Bible is basic instructions. No, it's not. There's 30,000 denominations. We can't even agree with each other. It is not basic instructions before leaving earth. You guys heard that acronym, right? It's not basic. It doesn't talk about stem cell research. It's not clear on homosexuality. It's not clear on a bunch of issues that in our culture, in our time, we need to wrestle with it as people, as a community. But what people have done is that they've treated this Bible, it's like a, it's like an, a, a gun full of ammo. Hey Josh, what's your thoughts about stem cell research? Well, the Bible says, so you better be quiet. The Bible says, the Bible says, oh, so I can't really think it through. Maybe it's not the Bible says, but it's your interpretation of what the Bible says. So I could challenge that. So I'm not against the scriptures. But let's wrestle with these current issues. We create these weird theology. It's God, it's God. The flood, it's God. Well, the, the tsunami. See, we, we won't go there when it comes to our generation. But in the Bible, we accept it. Why? Okay, so I'll stop with the Bible one because I know we've been going on with that one. Okay, so next question. Yeah, 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 yeah. So basically, the way I look at it like this, I believe that everybody has been redeemed and reconciled to God already. 
the evangelical tradition now, the Western gospel, is that you're not reconciled or redeemed or born again until you believe. I don't believe that. Okay? So if everybody is already in, they're in Christ, right? And Christ is in them. And we're all brothers and sisters. We're all God's children. If that's the case, what I talk about people being lost, it's not in the sense of they're not saved, they're going to hell when they die. They're not God's children. You get what I'm saying? How we use that kind of language. Oh, that brother's lost, man. No, I'm looking at this. Even though we're all in, we've been included in the work of Christ. If someone is lost, that's actually a funny thing. Because that could actually imply what I'm saying. If you're lost, what does that imply? It implies that you have a home. That you belong somewhere. And that you belong to somebody. So when somebody is lost, it's not that they're not in Christ or that God is not there in their life, is that they, they're, they're lost because of the lies that they believed, of separation. God's not here. God doesn't love me. God's mad at me. God's going to judge me. You get what I'm saying? So that's what I mean by the whole idea that people can still be lost in that sense, just like we can be lost, where we can get confused. But no matter what, if you're lost and you don't know what to believe anymore, thank God it's not dependent upon your doctrine, but you still belong to God. Huh. I'm telling you, if your salvation is completely dependent upon what, how you believe a certain doctrinal statement, you're screwed. You're screwed. You will have no security whatsoever. Because some days you believe and some days you don't really believe sometimes, folks. So does that mean that you're going to die and burn in hell forever just because you had a moment of doubt? Folks, your belief does not save you. Christ saved you. So let me make a distinction so I don't negate belief. There's an objective reality and there's a subjective experience. Objective reality is that Christ redeemed and saved the whole world. Ooh, that's a stretch for some Christians to believe. But subjectively, they do not experience it until they believe. I could unconditionally love my wife and tell her, I love you, I love you, I love you. The fact that she does not believe that does not negate the fact that I unconditionally love her. It is not... Oh, now she believes in me. Now it's real. Now I unconditionally love her. No. Objective reality, I unconditionally loved her. She belongs. We are one. But she won't experience it subjectively, consciously, until she believes. You guys get that? The Bible says in 1 Timothy 4.10, God is a Savior of all men. It doesn't say to those who believe. God is a Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. Why? Because he objectively saved the whole world. But subjectively, you will not experience it until you believe. But even if you don't believe, you're still in. That's called the good news, folks. You're in. That's the beauty of it all, folks. But we like these inside, outside, we're saved, you're not. I'm telling you, that, that just, that, that's why there's so much evil in the world. That's why there's so much war. It's because we don't look like you, talk like you. Or dress like you at a pulpit. <laughs> you get what I'm saying, folks? So here's what I mean. If Christ died for the whole world, but majority is going to hell, would you call that a victory? The Bible calls the death of Christ a victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Would you call that a victory then? Especially the majority is going to burn in hell. Now, hypothetically, what if nobody believed? 
would it still be a victory? <laughs> Just because he died, it's a victory. No, it looks like Adam won. It looks like Adam's work was much more powerful than the work of Christ. When you died, when he died, you died. When he resurrected, you resurrected. When he ascended, you ascended. And you are now seated in him, with him in heavenly places. How does that encourage you to go out and sin and do stupid crap? When you start to experience love, it just oozes out of you, man. You get what I'm saying? Like this whole time, I've been feeling electricity on my hands. I feel this sense of weight. Like, I don't know. This doesn't always happen, but it's happening to me. Because like, as I'm sharing, I feel it. Even if my doctrine is wrong, man, this makes me feel better than my old doctrine. <laughs> so why try to convince me to believe a theology that put me more in bondage? For me, I'm willing to let it go. I'm, I'm going to let it go. Okay, next question. Um, okay, God is a God of wrath. Okay, do I believe God is a God of wrath? Uh, yes and no. Depends what you mean. Now, I have a video on this. I don't know if you've even seen it, but you could watch my video. I, my video is called, Is God, What About God's Wrath and Judgment? Now, this is where it's nice to be able to look at the original language. Okay. Here's the problem. Once again, Christians have created a false dichotomy. They say, yeah, Josh, you're creating this, you're, you're sharing about this God of unconditional love. That's good, but don't get caught up in God's like a teddy bear. You know? Let's not forget that God is also a God of judgment and wrath. Now, I want you to notice that statement, that there's something already wrong with that statement. Hey, God is a God of love, but don't forget, He's also a God of wrath. You already divided those two, as if God's wrath is no longer love. So all of a sudden, God is a God of love, but then when He's wrathful, there's no love. Oh, but I thought God is love. In essence, God is love. So whatever God does... Even if it's wrath, it will be in love. But we automatically assume wrath is what? Anger, he's pissed off. <laughs> we automatically assume that, folks. Now, here's a good part about where you could go on the internet. You could just go to a certain like Bible software, just type in the word wrath, and I'll look up the original language. You know what the word is in the original language, in the Greek? It sounds funny. The word is called orge. Now, there are two words that come from the word orge. Number one, we're all adults here except for the child. You might cover her ears, okay? Number one, it could mean orgasm. Hmm. <laughs> You're like, yeah. And then number two, orgy. Now, when you see those two words, do you automatically think anger, pistol? No. So when you look at the definition of the word wrath, I do not deny that in some or definition, it could mean anger. But in other contexts, it could mean a violent or intense emotion or passion. So can we shift our thinking that if we're going to think about God's wrath, could it be God's violent and intense emotion and love for you? That when he's angry against sin, it's more because he's concerned that he doesn't want those things to hurt you. So he wants to protect you. There's a story that Steve McVeigh said that there was, you could think of a child who's playing with a bunch of snakes. Then you as a parent, you see your child, they could get hurt playing with a snake. 
So you run towards the child, but in the child, the child looks into your eyes, running towards him. And they see the fire in your eyes, trying to take the snake away. So in the child's eyes, it could look like wrath. It's like a violent passion. But you're trying to save them. God is not full of love, and then gets pissed off, and then no longer love. Everything that God does is love, folks. Now, there's going to be a challenge. You look at Romans, the book of Romans, and you're going to see a schizophrenic God. Because you're going to see in Romans chapter 1 especially, you're going to see a God saying, hey, God's coming, God's judgment, God's wrath, all you gay people, homosexuals, watch out. You know, that's in the book of Romans. So how does that make sense with what I'm sharing now? Recent scholarship is beginning to say this, that when you look at the book of Romans, it's not a schizophrenic God. It's a way that you read the book of Romans. The writer, the Apostle Paul, is responding to an audience. You're going to see in Romans 1 through 3, you're going to see a very angry God, right? Homosexuals, those who have sexual unnatural relations, judgment's coming, wrath is coming. Then all of a sudden in Romans chapter 2, I believe, 2 or 3, Paul turns it around. Because here's what's going on in the context, folks. He's responding to two things. He's responding, remember, these are like letters, right? He's responding to people who are crying out for God's judgment and wrath. And he's responding to something called libertinism. Meaning that he's responding to the critics saying, you can do whatever you want because you're under grace. Haven't you had that criticism before? Those who preach grace, it's like, oh, that means you're saying you can do whatever you want. Then. That's not what we're saying. Paul says, no, by no means. You've died to sin. So Paul is responding mainly to those two things. Libertinism, and he's responding to the critics that are crying out for God's judgment, to bring judgment upon those people. That's why he, Paul turns it around. So he's like, okay, so judgment's coming for homosexuals. But then he turns it around and says, well, then what about you? You're crying out for judgment for the Gentile outside sinners. Well, then what about you? There is no one righteous, no, not one. That just like them, you should get God's wrath and judgment too. Because you're going to see a schizophrenic God between 1 through 3 of Romans and the rest of the book, it's a very nice looking God. As if God's schizophrenic. Or was Paul, it's like a Socratic method. He's going on their terms. Oh, so you believe this? Then this should happen to you then. So that's why he's showing the God that's very angry and violent because that's the way they perceive God. And this, he's presenting the true version of God at Romans chapter 4, 5 through 8 who's God of unconditional love and where Jesus is greater than Adam. So I encourage you that when you go home and you read the book of Romans, start reading it through that lens. Is it possible? Is it possible? And recent scholarship is saying yes, and I believe so too. So when I believe in God's wrath, God is violently and intensely in love and passionate towards you. Amen. Okay. Anything else? Any more questions? He wrote, he did it first? Yeah. Uh, where, where are we going to have a lot of people like to start Okay. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
Yeah. And to me, I guess the way I was, you know, when I came to the Lord and stuff, I was like, no, I can't, I can't go in there. <laughs> As if God's not in a bar. Everybody was like, hey, well, the words don't come out, but like in other words, okay, I got the words out. I need a bar in my Yeah. You know, bro, I'm just letting you know, the church today wouldn't like Jesus Christ. Because he was accused of being a glutton, a drunkard. He hung out with tax collectors and prostitutes. There's all, what does that mean to guard your testimony? To some degree, I see where they're coming from. I see where they're coming from. But let me put it this way. I think the summary of Paul is just to each his own. Now, you don't want to make people stumble. Now, we could you know, debate about what does that mean. What does that mean? Right? So if you want to be careful about your testimony, you can. And I think there, there can be things that are, you, know, you can be careful about. But to what extent? You cannot please everybody. So I was telling her, because our lifestyle in the Philippines is very different than here. The lifestyle in the Philippines is bars. It's the nightlife. Here, it's not. It's really, 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 really taboo. Going to a club is really, 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 really taboo here in America. Now, am I encouraging you to go to a bar or a club? No, I'm not telling you to do anything about that, right? What I'm saying is, is that you, you can't make a particular place completely, totally evil. Bars are bad, as if there's evil on the walls or the floor. There's nothing completely bad. It's a group of people. Now, it's up to you if you want to be around people doing stuff. Maybe you don't want to smell like weed. I don't like to smell like weed, <laughs> right? I don't, it's not a good smell, right? You get what I'm saying? But that's the thing though, people can judge you, they can judge you, but they also judge Jesus. But you could just be like, hey, yeah, you saw me hanging out with them because I was hanging out with them because I love them, they're my friends, I wasn't doing what they were doing, but here are you, you're so stuck up in the church, you, don't, you only hang out with Christians. I don't think Jesus was like that. I think Jesus would be out there and I told this, these people here, you know, when we're in the Philippines, we do healing in bars. And when people see us, we don't even look like Christians. We don't even sound like it. Because I guess it's our language, you know, to each his own. You know, you can talk and say hallelujah. For, for me, folks, the reason why I just, I changed some of my language, number one, because I just, I don't feel natural saying hallelujah and all those things all the time. But it's more so, I think sometimes we get so religious, we tend to exclude others without even realizing it. Where you're like, Oh, praise God, or the anointing, or blah, blah, blah. And you're saying that in front of your non-Christian friends. They have no idea what that means. And it could almost exclude them. Or, or when you're about to eat and you're just praying for your food silently, and it's kind of like leaving them out. It's like, they're not, in, they're not allowed in your world. Don't worry, we're all guilty. Even me. I'm guilty too. I'm just speaking for my... <laughs> you did everything that I did, man. <laughs> you don't even have the same tattoo on this arm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But that's the thing, folks. I'm, I'm telling you, sometimes our language, we could turn people off. And I'm telling you, one of the funnest times is just we're just chilling with my friends. You know, some of them, they do drink. And I'm not encouraging. You know, folks, I don't even really drink. Right? So I'm not encouraging you. Drinking's good, drinking's bad. There's, I, I'm not here to say that. To each his own. Know that you're going to be judged by other people. Just be aware. But if your intention is good and you know your heart, whatever. I've gone to parties that are not Christian. Because <laughs> one time I went to a party because I cared for my friend because he was part of this um, fraternity. And what do they do at the fraternities? It's just like in the movies. You get that huge keg. <laughs> like, yeah! And honestly, I went there 
because I wanted to be with my friend. Because I loved him. He wasn't a Christian. And I loved him. And those things don't phase me. If it phases you, don't go. If women are your weakness, then don't go to certain places where women are throwing themselves at you. You get what I'm saying, folks? So don't be stupid. Don't be stupid. So I won't, I won't set myself with another woman because it's not good for us. I don't even want to put us in an awkward situation with me and another woman that could jeopardize my marriage. You get what I'm saying? So I'm very careful when I pray for the sick. My wife is usually with me. Now, I'm not against praying for the sick over her girls, but I'm just, I'm, I'm just you know, I'm married now. And I love my wife. So, and, and that's the thing. You, you want to be driven by grace. You don't want to do it so legalistically or you're treating people like a project. Imagine if, you know, because, okay, let me tell you how free you are. Okay? And this might throw you off. You can do whatever you want. You are that free. But you know what Christians will say? Yeah, Josh, you're free, but you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't sing, you can't do that. <laughs> the, word, the definition of free is gone. <laughs> I'm telling you, you're so free. You can do whatever you want. But the Bible says all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. Josh, why don't you just sleep around with a bunch of different girls? Because the Bible says, darn. <laughs> You see, imagine if we live by the scriptures that way. Why don't you do that? Because the Bible says. Because the Bible says. Oh, why did you buy flowers for your wife? Because God told me. <laughs> but the Bible says to love your wife or something. Or what if you understood love? Oh, why did you buy your wife roses? I love my wife, man. It's crazy. Right? Why, did you, why did you buy that thing for a gift? I would even change your language, folks, when it comes to God told me. Okay? For me, I actually find it, like it almost could come off offensive. I've had people many times, maybe you've done it, I've done it, why don't you raise your hand? <laughs> no, but it's like, I want you, now in the Philippines, in the Philippines, you will see, you won't see this in America, you will see a lot of street kids pounding on your window. It's kind of like, um, what's that Indian movie? That guy was a, the, the slumdog millionaire. You know those kids that come up to your window and they have messed up eyeballs and stuff like that? They do that on purpose, folks. They try to get you to give money to make you feel bad. It's sad. Imagine that these kids are begging me for money and then I give them money or I give them food. Why did you do that? Because God told me to give you food. Now, on the surface, that could sound like a good thing. On the surface. But I want you to listen closely to that. Oh, why did you do this for me? God told me. I want to be obedient. My question is, it's not whether or not God told you. Did you want to? Did you want to do that? Did you want to buy me flowers, sweetheart? Did you want to cook me food? Or did God just tell you and you don't want to be disobedient? Because it's easy, folks, to go to a homeless person and say, God loves you, brother. God loves you. You could go to a stranger at Starbucks. God loves you. You know what's harder? It's when you could go up to someone and say, I love you. Because now you have to get into their life. It's easy to give someone a track and peace out. Easy. Then you did your evangelism for the day. I'm telling you, when you tell people, I love you, that's God. Don't separate the two. It's okay. He's like, I didn't do that. <laughs> that's the one thing I did. <laughs> you think God's far from the Buddhists? 
in China? You think God's far from those kids in the boonies in the Middle East? You think He's far? I'm telling you, man, we, we are people of our culture. When you're Hispanic or Mexican, you grow up usually Roman Catholic. When you're Filipino, you usually grow up Roman Catholic. When you're in China, you're going to grow up Buddhist. When you're in the Middle East, you're going to grow up Muslim. It's not determined and saying it's 100% always like that, but that's just the way things work. And God knows exactly where you will be born and when you will be born. And the Bible says that God is not far from anybody access. Beautiful. I bet you some Buddhists could teach us more about love. Or even Gandhi. He lived out the scriptures in the Sermon on the Mount better than many Christians. And we claim to be followers of Jesus. When other people can live it out. Because ultimately, folks, like I said, it's not about religion. It's about knowing God. You could call yourself a Christian, whatever you want. But I'm telling you, everyone is on a journey. Even me. Was I saved when I started learning grace? If I did get saved when I learned grace, that sucks because in the most of my life, I wasn't saved. I must have gotten saved in my 20s. I'm telling you, Christ saved you. Believe the good news. That's what will stir up in your heart, the believing. Seeing this, folks? That's what I love when people watch my sermons and they email me after, say, Josh, after your sermon, it's crazy, but I see God everywhere now. I even hear it in secular music now of people that are looking for an answer where they're looking for God. They see God everywhere now. But us Christians, we like Christianizing everything. Christian rap, Christian rock, Christian clubs. It gets cheesy, folks. It gets cheesy. Stop. Some of the most talented people are non-Christians because they're not trying to copy. They're just living from what's inside. So all their creativity and our, their artsy side just comes out. But as Christians, we copy. Because we don't know how to be ourselves. We don't, people are afraid to be themselves. No, no, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. No, God is in you. Let your gift express itself. You don't have to be a pastor. I've heard many prophetic people pray over me and other people, you're going to be a pastor. Just because you start loving God when you're a youth kid, you're called to be a pastor. Not everyone's called to be a pastor. Not everybody. God wants you to be in the music industry. It will be a basketball player, whatever. Don't limit that stuff. See what I'm saying? And I'm telling you, when you enjoy the thing that you do that others may consider not spiritual because it's not considered Christian, I'm telling you, you will feel God when you learn to love what you do, when you're learning to paint, when you're learning how to fix cars, okay? Juan was telling me he has a lowered car like me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like my car was like that. You know, it's like there, there are things God loves it when you love. Like if I had a child and I see my child get happy watching cartoons, I'd be happy. No, do you love me more than your cartoons, sweetheart? You know, God, God's not like that. God's not like that, man. And would you say that apologetics have helped you yeah. um, question the yeah. 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 In in a sense. So I'm not. I'm saying apologetics, but I'm doing apologetics now. But I'm not defending the evangelical faith that Christianity is usually known for in America. So in that sense, it had a role because you could tell my mind. I think a lot. Okay. <laughs> if my wife tells you how I think, it's it's 
might be too extreme for some people. When I first heard that everybody is born again, so what I'm telling you guys now, that's like, <gasps> when, I shared, when I heard that the first time, I could not sleep. And I was in the Philippines. Because at that time, I was already preaching grace, but I was still preaching this in, out, we're saved, you're not, you have to believe, and then you become. I didn't have this revelation of inclusion that everyone's already in. So here I am, I'm preaching at places almost every week, and all of a sudden I hear that everybody's born again, and my understanding of the, of the atonement or the cross might be wrong. So there I was that night. I remember I was telling my friends, I told my friends we went to Jollibee. <laughs> this was a burger joint. I was telling my friends, and I didn't know how to make sense of it because I was a little bit uncomfortable when I first heard that everybody's born again. I got a little bit uncomfortable when I heard it. But I was telling my friends because it made sense in my heart. I was like, you know what, you guys? I think everyone is born again. I just don't know how to explain it yet. So my wife saw me for like two weeks straight. I did not sleep. I would be up like at four or five in the morning reading, researching, studying. And then when I'm at going to bed, I'm like, I'm just talking to her like, oh, love, I don't know how to think about this anymore because I'm preaching every week. I don't even know if I want to preach anymore. I need to wait till I study and figure this stuff out before I preach my next sermon. So people would invite me to their churches and I would say no because I was so confused when I got that revelation a couple of years ago. But my mind, it, it, it helps because since I think a lot, I don't just take everything at face value. So when I heard that everybody's born again, I didn't believe it right away in the sense where I'm just telling everybody, but I did look into it. And I guess that's kind of like my analytical mind, I guess. But what I love is that my wife could keep things more simple for me. So when I would tell her these radical things that I'm learning, she's like, yeah, that's not that hard to believe. I believe Because she didn't have the theology ingrained the way I did in Bible school. <laughs> you see? So I'm telling you, the simpler it is. God's very simple in that sense. Okay? So I, the, the, if you're going to get into apologetics, it sounds like you're into apologetics? Yeah, okay. Okay, cool, yeah, and I'm not, I'm not against it, but, I, but I'm saying that the majority of the apologetic books that are out right now, many of them are defending many things that I don't believe in. So I'm just letting you guys know. So I respect those Christian apologists that I was privileged to study under uh, in the sense that they're, 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 they're defending the Christian worldview, but they're defending the evangelical worldview because I'm telling you, there's a whole other Christian world out there that many people don't even realize that are considered liberal but I think that a lot of the liberals are onto something that many evangelicals are not even open to research because they're so scared to have an opposing viewpoint. Read the books that people tell you not to read, folks. You're, you are not a robot. You are not a robot. So when I was told, don't read this, don't read that, I didn't read it. Then one day in the Philippines, I decided, you know what? If everybody is already included in Christ, then they and everyone in the world must have some truth that they can share. Because back in the day when I studied philosophy, all I did was read on books on cults and other religions. Why? Just so I could argue against it. And my mind was not even open at all to what they were believing. It was just mostly from a Christian critique. But when I got into inclusion and I started to understand grace, I started reading books with an open heart saying, what if... This person who's not a Christian has some truth in there. Folks, many non-Christians have truth. Look at all the things that people create. They're not Christians. The products that we buy, they're not Christian. The psychology books that you read at school, some of them, they're not Christian. But they have truth. So whether you're Christian or non-Christian, all of us, we have truth and we have falsehoods. Everybody. That's why Christians argue with each other. 
Because even Christians who claim to have the Holy Spirit teaching all of them, they can't even agree. Or the Holy Spirit must be very confused. I don't know. See? So that's the thing. I would be very careful to be so hardcore on defending a position because five years from now you might end up embracing it when you call it heresy. Because I've done that. The many teachings that I've taught, even when it comes to healing, if you hear my latest healing teaching, I'm putting it up next week. Those healing teachings that I'm going to share next week on, on the internet, those teachings I remember in early 2000s, I would say that's cultic. That's cultic. But I'm teaching some of the things that I've learned that I think the Christian world needs to hear. Right? Because believe it or not, folks, Christians are not the only ones that heal. When you go to the Philippines or you go to China, there are people that are into Qigong in these different modalities of energy, okay, all that stuff. I'm telling you, other people get healed. And Christians are so much living in fear, they make everything say everything is demonic. And it's not. Then you should thank the devil for healing your grandma of cancer. Because there's many people who do alternative medicine and they get healed, genuinely. And they're not worshiping the devil. But us Christians, we just think that we're the favored group. God shows no favoritism. But we think that God does. Oh, I have favor. I have favor. I walk into a room because I have God's favor and everyone started coming into the room because I have God's... Folks, everybody is in God. This is not my God. This is not your God. It is God. There's only one God. Why am I yelling? <laughs> no, it's just, it's just in my heart. But it, 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 it saddens me. I hope that when you go to your friends, who even if they hate God, you could see God in them now, that they're just probably hurt. Maybe they have daddy issues. You know what I'm saying? People are against God for a reason. Maybe they were presented the angry, judgmental God. Then who would want to believe in that angry, judgmental God? See? But I believe that many atheists, like I said, they're not rejecting God. They're rejecting the Christian fundamentalist version of God. Because when I listen to... I've read a lot of atheistic philosophy. That's my background in apologetics, right? So I've read uh, uh, Dawkins and all these guys, you know, the God delusion and all that philosophical stuff that's boring to people. Uh, But I read that stuff. When I listen to their interviews, like Christopher Hitchens, who just passed away recently, who is a famous, he's a notorious atheist. They call them the new atheists are on the rise. The new atheists because they're more aggressive against religion. So you have people like Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens, etc. When I saw Christopher Hitchens on an interview, before he died, he had cancer, he was completely bald, he was dying. Now he's an atheist. And the guy interviewing him said, you know, Christopher, do you know that there's a lot of people praying for you that you'd go to hell? He's like, yeah. What do you want to say to them? Tell them I'll see them there. Because he sees the hatred in religion so much. And when I, hear, when I heard his heart, I appreciated Christopher Hitchens' heart. Nowadays, I sound more like an atheist because when I hear a lot of fundamentalist evangelical teaching, I sound like an atheist when I start to challenge him. Well, what about this? What about the violence in the Bible? I'm starting to see who really are my friends. And I've had some people, by God's grace, man, one of them finally came out to my birthday. The other ones didn't. And 
He says, Josh, even if I'm not sure what you believe, you're still my friend. You're still my brother. And for me, these people who disagree with me theologically, aggressively, I'm telling you, man, if you've seen my emails, I would, even if I disagree with them, I would never call them heretics, false teachers, you're going to hell, you're damned, this is the doctrine of demons. I would just be like, dude, that's where you're at. This is where I'm at. I guess the, the beauty of it all, as I was mentioning today on Facebook, that when I could lose some friends, and I, and I don't deny all the wonderful things that they've done for me, I just don't know what happened now. The beautiful thing is, is that God has brought other people in my life. He has. Now I know some of you guys now. When I went to Northern California, these people just embraced us where we just wanted to cry when we were saying goodbye, like Remy wanted, was crying when we were saying, because here's these people that are not looking at us through, do we have the same theology? Yeah, we have some similarities, but they're looking at us, at us as people. So is it worth it? Yeah, for me. But I'm not going to deny that it could hurt at times. Does it not hurt me at times? Yeah, it doesn't hurt me at times. Sometimes I'm just like, I just have to move on. And I'm not going to say that they were never my friends. It's just, it's sad, honestly. You know, but, but, my, but other than that, my experience of God everywhere, of seeing God everywhere now has, I think my life has been much better. And that's the beauty of it all, is that when you, when you live a life of an example, whatever that can look like, right, of love, you won't have to defend yourself. So when people are talking all this trash about you, let your life speak for itself. But honestly, you guys, I'm like, I'm so pumped up to see that, I don't know how it is in El Paso, right? But this is like a movement, right? Where if you're not hearing it at some of the churches, you say it. You speak up. That you don't have to go to a church and be undercover to try to get people to do your secret grace meeting. You know what I'm saying? But all I'm encouraging you guys to do is just be yourself and love people. And I'm telling you, it could change this whole community. Who says you need a huge platform? I'm telling you, if you could love somebody, like really love somebody, and not, not just treat them as like a discipleship thing. Okay, we did our, you know, accountability time. And I've seen that, man. If you just invest in someone's life, that's powerful. Then that will do the domino effect. You don't have to tell them, I want you to evangelize and share. When you love them, they will love when they receive that love. And I'm telling you, Texas could turn around and understand this message all over Texas. So please continue to keep us in prayer. We're in Cali now, we're based here. So I'm pumped up and we're not stopping. So all the negative stuff that we get, the messages and we're not stopping. And we're letting you guys know, me and my wife, we believe with you guys. Yeah, so we love you guys. And uh, we'd love to spend more time with you guys someday in the future. So thank you, Mr. Ray.